0: When world leaders and environmentalists converged in Egypt last month to talk about climate change mitigation, what they had to say about the built environment was not very encouraging. Despite increased investment in efficiency and lower intensity, CO2 emissions from buildings and construction peaked last year, and rapid development continues. That's according to a report released by the United Nations at the conference. Welcome back to Sustainability Street, our podcast on the intersection of commercial real estate and the world we live in. For this episode, I interviewed Liz Beardsley, Senior Policy Counsel for the U.S. Green Building Council, about the report and other key takeaways from the COP27 conference. Liz attended the conference and moderated a panel there. Here's what she had to say. COP stands for Conference of the Parties. For the past 27 years, the high-level meeting has brought together all the countries that ratified the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. This year, 198 countries and territories came to review progress toward their NDCs. That's their nationally determined contributions to fighting climate change and to set a course for the coming year. COP is a really important event. We've all heard of the Paris Agreement, which aims to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Well, that was adopted at COP21 in 2015. NDCs are the core of that legally binding treaty. COP27's accomplishments included establishing a loss and damage fund for developing countries and a high-level expert group report that addressed net zero pledges and the dangers of greenwashing. So, Liz, before we talk about the key takeaways for commercial real estate from the conference, what was the general mood of the conference? I felt it was
1: sobering that there's definitely a sense that we're running out of time and, you know, all of the data is showing that warming is increasing and perhaps faster than scientists would have predicted. So, There were numerous reports that came out over the two weeks that highlighted various aspects of that ambition. Even the NDCs are not ambitious enough to meet 1.5 degrees warming, and then progress on the NDCs. The actions are not even supporting what's in the NDCs. So there's that going on that's really highlighting the need to push to action. As you probably know, the COP was... Deemed the implementation cop, that was the idea, because I think people recognize that we can't keep talking. We have to get all these changes in motion in a much more rapid pace. So that's I guess one aspect. There was some rumbling about the lack of civil society and youth and some things that were going on that maybe not having as much access, and thats can be an issue at the cop, where People affected by climate change and that care aren't always there, literally like present or able to have access and speak their views. So last year at Glasgow, Scotland was criticized for that. And even though there were some peaceful protests in Scotland, it was much more muted even
0: this year. So much fewer of things like that happening. And how was real estate viewed at the conference? So
1: another thing that was happening has happened over the last several years is there are more and more pavilions and it's uh, been beneficial to bring attention to different sectors that are either impacted or solutions and helping to convene the actors in these different areas. So was a buildings pavilion and I think a lot of the global actors were focused around that area. A lot of the Nonprofit organizations and associations, and some businesses. I would say commercial real estate as a like subsector wasn't hugely present. It was more organizations, solutions providers like HVAC, specific industry sets who are heavily involved in some specific decarbonization efforts like the concrete sector. And then, you know, interests like, um, Public housing, affordable housing, and others like that. And then, of course, engineers and architects and their associations as well. So I think that's kind of the mix of who was there. There were, you know, some of the global tech companies were there and, you know,
0: in and out of the building space as well as other topics. And in terms of how is real estate or the building community's progress viewed? Um, are they way behind or? Yes, we're way behind. So there are
1: increasing companies and as well as cities and states that are committing to net zero buildings under the zero carbon building commitment. However, the reality is that global emissions from buildings actually peaked, they've reached their highest point in 2021. And global status report on buildings and construction was launched the first week of COP and like lays out all that data. So there's been some improvement in energy use intensity, but we keep continuing to build. And in particular, the less developed emerging economies are still creating a quality of life and providing more space for their residents and businesses so that Increased construction is leading to an increase in energy use and emissions from global buildings.
0: Hmm. So not a great progress report. Can you talk about some of the other key themes and action items that emerged for real estate?
1: There's been a lot of talk about various solutions, um, a focus on heating and cooling, heat pumps in particular, beneficial electrification, some you know, specific solutions for less developed rural areas and so on. I think there's also some sort of general calls for policy and for finance, but I think overall what's still missing is a bit of the how-to. So how do we scale effectively? And even some of the roadmaps kind of lay out some of the pieces that need to be done, but not really how we provide that Increased level of coordination across finance, government, and private sector to make it happen. So I think that's what we would look to as you know a critical next step so that we're not in the same position two, three years away where we're still continuing to grow global emissions. And then another theme that's emerged is whole life carbon. So paying attention to the carbon related to materials. And not only operations, but, you know, getting both of those addressed and depending on the region of the world and the country, it may be especially critical to pay attention to materials where there's a lot of development. So that's an issue that's emerged and is
0: really kind of stuck this year. In terms of roadmaps, I think there was a report released at the conference by the UN high-level expert group around... um net zero pledges, and it seemed to be calling for more regulation around net zero commitments.
1: Yes, and it's also being referred to as the greenwashing report, and actually pulled it up right before our call here, because I do think that in combination with some of the asset managers and asset owners from the investor side, there's a, a global investor strategy, and that's pulling more of the investment side of things to demand net zero. And then this report on sort of greenwashing or how to make net zero commitments real, I think we'll get more attention. And as those things align and move forward, there will be a lot more scrutiny. I think that was the intent here. So, you know, this report, it's not rocket science, but it's basically making actions and investments line up with what you say. So there's different... Recommendations for private sector, for jurisdictions, and others, and finance specifically. But basically, looking for if you're claiming net zero, you need to be able to demonstrate how your actions are aligned with your target and how your investments also align. And there's even um, also like a lobbying part to that as well how lobbying and policy engagement aligns with your net zero targets. It's concise but comprehensive in terms of all the pieces that
0: should be lining up and able to call yourself having a net zero target. Does there seem to be a push to kind of have a, a universal definition of net zero? Because I know that's something <laughs> that's been a question here in the United States. It's a good question. You know, there were some discussions of that in the buildings pavilion.
1: I think there's definitely interest in it. Whether there's progress on it, I think I couldn't say.
0: Much in the, of the US action in terms of regulation has been on the state and local level. And I think you moderated a discussion mm-hmm. with uh, local leaders, and there's some great things being done. Tell me about some of the key takeaways from your panel. So, we had, for example, Mayor
1: Licardo from San Jose. He sees climate and equity as inextricably linked with quality of life for his residents. So they've really invested, they've taken advantage of state of California programs to move to all one hundred percent renewable energy for the city, but they're working on resilience for the power grid and are you know trying to implement microgrids and uh, support uh, and try to work with the utility, which Mayor Lacardo recounted has been challenging. So that's one one takeaway, um, I think they're also going to start working more on retrofits of buildings, which can be more challenging, but there's, you know, there is a lot in the Inflation Reduction Act, um, as well as the IIJA. I agree with you that a lot has been happening on the state and local, but certainly there was a buzz around the COP about the Inflation Reduction Act, and there were a large number of Federal officials from the US government um, talking about it, explaining it, engaging with partners. And I heard from quite a few people from other countries that were familiar with it, at least in passing, and were excited about what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another one was Mayor Simmons from Greenville, Mississippi. He joined our panel. He's involved with the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative. He talked about how, at the moment of our event, there were barges that could not deliver grain, could not like collect, they could not really conduct trade on the river because the of the drought, and they're not able to meet capacity for for moving agriculture and the impact of that on local residents and businesses, and as well as at other times of the year, you know, the risk of flooding. So he talked pretty eloquently about how climate change is affecting people in his community. They don't necessarily call it climate change, but they know what it is and they want to work on improving it. So he's focused on nature-based solutions um and that's become a I think something he's trying to work on with other members of that Mississippi River coalition to implement wetlands and and other types of solutions along the river to help provide that flood storage capacity and reduce those risks as, as one example.
0: After a short break, how does the rest of the world view the US's efforts to combat climate change?
1: Hi, I'm Jessica Fjord, Editor-in-Chief of Commercial Property Executive, and I'm here to spread the news about the premium content that you can receive in your inbox by subscribing to the CPE Daily Newsletter. Our experienced writers regularly put together special reports on the hottest topics in the industry, and you can get all these expert insights for free. To sign up, visit commercialsearch.com news today. Thank you.
0: You talked about that buzz about the Inflation Reduction Act. How is the U.S.'s progress viewed in relation to other countries? Do people feel like the U.S. is doing enough?
1: I think it depends on the people. There's lots of opinions. So (laughs) I think I read there were 35,000 people at COP. So I definitely heard from some actual delegates, some of the other country representatives that they were really excited. You know, you may have read President Biden gave a special mm-hmm. address to COP, and that was very well received. You know, I heard from some people afterwards, they were really excited and felt positive about what he was doing, not just saying, but doing. I think the finance side is the one um, gap where we haven't met our obligation yet. I think that that's being worked on. That is something that's that's needed. Um, Special Envoy Kerry, I think, announced a new finance initiative to try to attract additional private sector finance and keep funds moving to help the less developed countries transition faster. So that got some interest. So we'll see where that goes. So I think overall there was this buzz about the IRA and definitely excitement about the U.S. Doing more, but more finance being needed.
0: And how about um, technology? Was there a feeling that we, we need to innovate more, or is it the technology's there and people just need to use it more? It's really the latter in terms of the
1: building sector for the most part. You know, I think we heard from you know, leading companies like Honeywell and Johnson Controls that yeah, they have the technology, it's getting it out there. Sometimes they need data and policy or other supports to make it uh, viable. And workforce has also come up as a factor, a potential limitation in getting things out there faster. But technology is not really viewed as a gap in the building sector. It's, it's viewed as tech, we have the technology and it's just how do we get it out there faster in more places.
0: Were there any groups or solutions underrepresented at COP27?
1: What I didn't see, so not necessarily that there were gaps in who was there, but I do think there are gaps in groups talking to each other. Hmm. So it's such a large conference. And as the number of uh, pavilions has proliferated, there's still like everyone has their, their groups that they're talking with. And the risk of that is you're not cross-collaborating across sectors and really figuring out how to translate whether that's definitions or language or policies that weave these things together to have greater impact. So I think does that make sense?
0: Yes. Speaking of regulation, I think there's a perception here in the US that carrots work better than sticks. But are we reaching the point where you know we need more regulation? Was that a a theme there? A little bit, I I would say maybe more on the adaptation and
1: resilience side. So there were a number of sessions and new announcements related to adaptation needs globally, um, as well as a new set of guidelines for resilient codes. I think that from the local and state governments that were there, you know, many talked about some of the regulations and policies they're working on, but not all did. Like, for example, Mayor Simmons was more focused on sort of programs and investment. So I think there was some variation depending on the, you know, the local culture and acceptance of regulatory approaches. I feel like if you look across the U.S., both carrots and sticks are both expanding, which is probably what we need. So we do have a lot more jurisdictions looking at uh, building performance standards, and and those were touched on by a few of the local and state governments uh, speaking. Um, there was also Governor Holcomb from Indiana was also in that, in that session that you referenced, and he's a Republican, you know, red state governor from manufacturing state, and it was all about how they saw that the clean energy transition is happening and They could invest and get ahead and gain competitive advantage, or they could do nothing and be left behind. So they have a very targeted approach to transitioning their various systems and existing energy infrastructure and resources to, you know, take advantage and and grow with the clean energy transition. So that was very interesting. And he really got around the governor. um, I heard (laughs) from like all these other people from different like sort of walks of life about the governor of indiana I was talking about the, the governor of india so he made a big splash
0: and when you say adaptation are you talking about building retrofits yeah i yeah i, I think that is a big issue particularly the finance end of it you know the cost of adapting mm-hmm. properties hmm uh, so what are some? some of the expectations for the coming year? What should companies be doing? What should countries be doing? Well,
1: companies certainly in real estate need to be looking at their risks, their physical risks and their transition risks and look critically at what they're doing and align with what's going to be soon, I think a demand from investors to be 1.5 degree aligned. So if they don't have a commitment or if they do to kind of do a, a systematic review of all of their activities, their policy engagement, their investments and have a specific you know, detailed actionable plan that they can start to implement so that when they're asked they can show that what they're doing is real and it's not greenwashing. That's what they need to be prepared for. As far as countries, you know, I think there is a role for policy. I mean, some countries don't have a good building energy code, so that's obviously a place to start. Some of the countries where Southeast Asia, where there's continues to be significant new construction, that's where really working on that embodied carbon could be impactful. If all of that future concrete could be actually. Storing carbon instead of being a source of more emissions, that could make a huge difference. So I think collaborating, and that's some place where the US and Europe have technical expertise and the number of companies trying to work on these technology. So that's one area where technology uh, needs to continue. And uh, I know there's a lot of research being done and some demonstration type projects. And then really figure out what's the best policy that's going to work in that country for dealing with retrofits. So like Europe has done some building labels. It's like a step towards a building performance standard, but not quite. But countries like ours with a federated model where there's a lot of state autonomy, it could be harder. So I think we're going to see some more experimentation on how to get more broadly existing buildings to get on board for a path. So we'll have the finance signal that will be coming, but then the government, some types of government support that aligns with that signal, I think would be impactful.
0: Wow, it's both exciting and daunting. Hopefully when we meet next year to talk about COP28, there will be progress on those points. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing what you heard and saw at the conference. And thank you listeners for joining me on Sustainability Street. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to me at therese.fitzgerald at cpe-mhn.com. Bye for now.